0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, well, it is pulpit swap. Sunday, which you didn't know was a thing, but that's happening today in Leamington. And so uh, there is another church in town that you might be familiar with called South Point Community Church, and that's the church on Beveline Road. Uh, So if you've ever gone to the point, you've driven right past it. And that is another Mennonite Brethren church actually in town. They're part of our denomination. And so uh, they're a sister church to us. And so this morning, Pastor Mesh is there, bringing the Word of God there. And we have their pastor here, Dave Bretzloff, who has come to bring the Word with us today. Uh, Dave brought us a great word at the 9 o'clock service. I am quite confident it will be similarly great in the 11 o'clock service. And I met, Gray, uh, I met Dave a number of years ago at a denominational thing, and I've had chatted with him over the years, and I've uh, always just found Dave to be uh, just really in love with Jesus and really committed to what he does as a pastor. And a lot of wisdom there, a lot of charm there, super funny and, uh, and super good-looking and wealthy, and uh, just, <laughs> I did that the first service. We're just gonna raise the bar impossibly high for him to live up to. Uh but Dave really he's a fantastic pastor, just a true pastor and loves the word of God. And so he's gonna bring us the word this morning. So would you please welcome Dave as he comes to share today? There we go. Hey, well, it is really, really fun to
1: be here with all of you guys this morning. I need to get uh, a little oriented and uh uh put all my stuff down. Uh but you know I don't know about all the things he said. What I do know is that the Bible's good. Um, it's got good stories in it. And I'm a sucker for a good story. Uh, and, and I've had the opportunity lately um, to hang out a little bit in the Old Testament and find some really, really awesome stories in there. Uh, stories that I learned in Sunday school. Uh, but you tend to like, oh, well, that's for Sunday school. You know, that's for little kids. Um, But when you go back and you start reading through them again and you start realizing how rich they are, um, they're amazing stories. But it takes a little bit of work when you do it on your own. And that's sort of a challenge, I think, for most of us. Um, This story that I want to share with you today, particularly from Numbers chapter 13, um, is an amazing story. It has all the features of of a feature film. It has literally spies in it, 12 of them to be exact. Um, It has giants in it going into this incredible um, land that's fortified and and just an amazing, fruitful uh, place that's lush. And everybody wants to be there, um, but the people of God just aren't sure if God's really going to give it to them. That's the challenge in the story. Now, when you read it through in the book of Numbers, I don't know how many of you read the book of Numbers lately, um, but you need a lot of water because it's a little dry. It's a little dry. So you need to be a little bit sympathetic to, to real life, right? In real life, the guy who wrote this book first had to make the paper by hand. Okay, that's a long process. Then he had to make the ink by hand. Then he had to make a pen by hand. And then he had to very carefully with his own hand uh, write it all out in Hebrew happy little letters. Uh, It was hard work. And so you can appreciate that in the Bible, a lot of these great stories that they were living and experiencing um, get kind of condensed. And so you have to read a little bit in between the lines and you have to do a little bit of work to kind of connect the dots and realize everything that's going on in these passages. Now I have one more little confession. Um, I have ADD. um, And I have dyslexia. And so reading boring stories is really hard for me. Uh, And yet, um, I found out a while ago that... The truth is that for almost all of time, uh, throughout history and almost everywhere in the world, almost nobody read these stories. They heard them. They heard them. They went to synagogue, uh, and the priest would unroll the scroll, or, or whoever was the guest that week, like Jesus at one point was a guest, and he had the scroll of Isaiah, and he read it, and he said, in this reading, this passage is fulfilled, and then they wanted to kill him. Um, it was, you know, just another day at church. Uh, so, so people always have heard the word of God proclaimed. Um, and so I don't know if it's just for young folks like me uh, who like computers, uh, but there's a website called BibleGateway.com, and it saved my life. Um, uh, because I can click on the little icon there that's the speaker and it just reads it to me and I get to listen in the car wherever I'm going it's it's, it's a lot of fun it helps me out a lot there's also up in this corner here uh, uh, some icons for old guys like me that can make the font bigger <laughs> so that I can see it when I'm riding in the car um, and uh, it, and I'm just hoping Uh, that if you'll indulge me for about almost four minutes, um, we could listen to this story. Uh, we'll just go through chapter 13 and, uh, and we'll let my good friend Max read to us. Okay. Here we go.
2: Verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua son of Zakur, From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Orai; From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel son of Sodai, from the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadai son of Susai; from the tribe of Dan, Amiel son of Gemalai; from the tribe of Asher, Sethur son of Michael; from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai son of Vofsai, from the tribe of Gad, Giuel, son of Makai. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin, as far as Rehob, toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, Come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them.
1: There we go. Thank you, Max. You see how I didn't have to read all those long names? That was for a kindness, I promise. It, this is an interesting passage of scripture. Um, and what you have here is one of those lists, those famous lists. Um, and, and this list is a list of notable people from Israel, right? Israel um, gets its name from Jacob. Um, Jacob had 12 sons. Um, and the 12 sons of Jacob developed into the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and so these guys that Moses picks or that were picked on Moses' behalf to go in, they're, they're like the princes of each tribe. They're not necessarily the chief of each tribe, but there's somebody very significant from each tribe, because this isn't just a tour. Moses isn't just sending them in for a tour. He talks a lot about checking out the agriculture and um, all the different aspects of the land, Um, but the point of it is that they want to go in with military force and take over this land. So what they're supposed to figure out is how to do that without destroying all the crops and all the vineyards and so on. How to attack the different uh, towns and villages and cities um, that are fortified um, in this area without causing too much damage. So Moses wants some very um, uh, well-educated leadership type people to go in and spy it out carefully, um, to make sort of mental maps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, for this pending attack. And so these guys are notable. Um, And when we read through the list, we go, oh, so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. I think I'm going to take a nap, right? But in each of these lists, Uh, And I'm I'm not just saying this just because I want you to read the list someday. Uh, But if God wants you to read the list someday, I got to encourage you a little tiny bit here. In each of these lists, you'll find notable people, but you'll also find noteworthy people. And pretty much every list has one or two or more people in it that are noteworthy and can be an inspiration to us. And you find that here, especially in verse 6 and verse 16. Caleb and Joshua. Now, the verse 16 part here is just right after the list, and it's just this little addendum. Uh, It says, these were the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. All right, interesting. You see, it is interesting, like... I just thought Joshua was Joshua. I didn't actually know that Joshua was Hosea, right? Uh, why wouldn't Joshua be Joshua? He has a book in the Bible, it's called Joshua. There's another guy, totally different guy, a few hundred years later has a book, his name's Hosea. This is Joshua, let's not be so confusing. Um, but, but if you do the work, right? And you understand for a spy, Um, We watch the movies, it's all exciting. But real spies, (laughs) they live horrible lives, (laughs) right? The shooting part isn't the part they want. What they want is the sneak in the back door, boring part, go through the files in alphabetical order, look for the one in the haystack that they need, right? And we need to be like that sometimes with the Bible. We need to be okay to do the boring parts and work through the Word of God and find the important parts. And if you start working this out a little bit, you discover some really cool things. Here's some cool things about Hosea and Joshua. So Hosea, it turns out, in Hebrew, is very, very similar uh, to the name uh, Joshua just one little letter and a couple of jots and little points and all those happy little uh, squiggles, uh, different. But really, really similar. Um, So, why the change? You see, Hosea is this slave, right? He's living in the land of Egypt as a slave, and his parents, when he's a little, teeny, tiny baby, give him the name Hosea, Because they are hoping and praying that someday their child might lead the people of God to salvation. What do they need saving from? They need saving from slavery, right? This is very practical, earthy, real-life stuff from them. They are tired of building pyramids, right? They are tired of making meals for other people that don't even say thank you. They are tired of being owned and beaten and treated like garbage. And that's what they want salvation for. And so they take this little bundle in their arms and they name him Hosea, salvation. And they pray that someday this child might be part of leading their people to salvation. And he lives up to his name, actually. He lives up to his name. He becomes Moses' right-hand man. It's really interesting to watch it um, all kind of unravel as, uh, as you go through the book of Exodus. Um, as you go through the book of Exodus, this, this group of 2.4 million slaves leave Egypt, right? 2.4 million people leave Canada? Like, imagine. It's a big deal, It's a big deal. And so so Moses leads them across the Red Sea and the first obstacle they come to on the far side of the Red Sea is this group of military uh, people that are going to attack them and put them down. Because do you know what would happen if 2.4 million people were coming to Essex County? (laughs) We would be worried, right? And so the people that live on the other side of the Red Sea, they're not too excited about this at all. But they got it in their head. They know what's going on. They're slaves. They're nothing. They're not organized. They're just a bunch of goofs. Let's, let's go push them back. Push them back right into that Red Sea if we have to. And Moses turns to Joshua and he says, Okay, Josh. Sorry, Hosea. Okay, Hosea. You're in charge. I'm going to go up there uh, and I'm going to have a prayer meeting. You're gonna be down here, little sweat, little blood, good luck. (laughs) And he does it, he does it, he does it. He leads the people of God into battle and they have victory. And you can see as you read through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and all those uh, happy little books, how Joshua tunes right into it and he becomes kind of very, very focused on being the general for Moses, very focused on being the military leader. He is going to lead these people to salvation no matter what. There's an interesting little spot where you can see it. In Exodus, I think it's chapter 32, um, uh, the whole golden calf incident, if that rings a bell, uh, you're welcome to go read it um, or listen to it. Um, it's, it's a great passage of scripture. And there's a whole bunch of chapters that go together there. But they get across the Red Sea. They go through this one little battle. Um, they keep motoring along. Um, and eventually, they get to the bottom of this mountain. And God calls Moses and Joshua up to the top of the mountain. And he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. And they're up there for a long time. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's a great story when you start looking at the details of it. And then at the top of the mountain, after a little while, God says to Moses, all right, you got to get down and uh, go look after your people there because there's problems. And honestly, check it out. There's this debate between Moses and God and God's saying, go Look after your people, Moses. And and Moses is like, "Uh, well, uh, 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 they're your people, God. And God's, Moses, go look after you. And it's back and forth. And as they're walking down the mountain, they're having this dialogue back and forth. um, And suddenly, Moses and Joshua can hear this commotion. They can't see what's going on yet, but they can hear it. They can hear this commotion of, of something happening to 2.4 million people at the bottom of the mountain. We know, because we read the book, that it's Aaron who's made a golden calf and they're worshiping, and their version of worshiping is an Egyptian version of worshiping, which is kind of like getting drunk and crazy. Um, And Joshua's little phrase there, uh, his assessment of it immediately is very telltale. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Gives us a clue. Uh, He says, war. They're being attacked. I got to get down there. I got to lead them. They're not being attacked. They're being idiots, right? That's what they're being. And so uh, Moses seems to see this in Joshua. He sees that Joshua takes on all of this responsibility and very capably. Um, But... Moses changes his name because Hosea is never gonna be the salvation of the people of God. Joshua, however, can be part of God's salvation and that's what Joshua's name means. It means Jehovah is salvation. What a dramatic shift for this young man To have an older man like Moses come along and say, hey, keep your eye on God. He's our salvation. He's gonna make all the difference. And it does make a difference. It makes a huge difference. In chapter 33 of Exodus, um, you see that Moses is still quite frustrated and he really doesn't know what to do with these people. They're supposed to be God's holy people. They're supposed to be a light to the nations around them. But instead, they're, they're acting like slaves. They have this slavery mentality and they don't quite know how to shake it. And they're acting like 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 hooligans um, that just left Egypt for some kind of uh road trip and party, and so so Moses decides that he 's going to separate himself from them because he needs them to learn to separate themselves from the practices that they had growing up with in egypt and he needs them to learn that god wants them to be a holy people that become a blessing and a light and a witness to the people around them so moses before the tabernacle has been issued and invented and made and everything he takes his own tent a mile outside of this tent city of 2.4 million people and he parks it there and this is where he goes to meet with the lord now, I don't know if you remember the story exactly, but but at that time the way God worked was that by day He would have a pillar of cloud up in the sky, and He would lead the people. And whenever the cloud would move, the people would start going. And by night He had a pillar of fire that would be there for the people, um, and that cloud would often stretch out over the people and provide shade for them out in this desert. Um, But when Moses would go out to this tent of meeting that he had set up for him and God, um, the cloud would, would come down upon that little tent. And the Bible tells us that Moses would meet with God and speak with God as a friend speaks with another friend. Now it's interesting, the only other person that went out there with Moses was Joshua. Everybody else stayed in this little tent city. Joshua would go out with him, and, and this is the part I love. Moses would be there talking with God. And when Moses was done, he'd go back into the city. Now, where's Moses' right-hand man supposed to go? He's supposed to go where Moses goes. But that's not where he went. The Bible clearly says that Joshua would stay at the tent in the presence of God. Because he was starting to get it. He was starting to grow as a spiritual leader of the people of Israel. And he knew it had to be all about Jehovah. It had to be all about the one true God of Israel that was gonna lead them and provide for them all that he had promised to Abraham and Jacob and their descendants. So, what about the other guy, right? Two noteworthy people in this little passage Two noteworthy people, and you you see that it's Caleb, actually, that speaks up. When the other ten spies are saying, oh, we can't do it. This is crazy. God's just brought us out here to die. Caleb has a different perspective. Caleb's the one that speaks up. I love this uh, verse here in just the very next chapter, in chapter 14. He says... And, and, I, and I wish I could insert my name. I wish God would insert my name in, in a verse like this someday. He says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me what, wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. What a cool verse. What's so different about Caleb. It turns out that when you uh, do the work and go through some of these lists that are in the Bible and so on, you find out everything's different about Caleb. Everything's different about him. So in this particular passage that we looked at, uh, chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, it says that Caleb is the son of his father. And that's true. Um, (laughs) What a revelation. So, but when you get to Numbers... Um, 32, there's another very similar list, and Caleb's in it again, but we get a little bit more information. Caleb, son of Jephunnehira, the Kenzanite. The Kenzanite? That's an odd word in the Bible. What is a Kenzanite, right? You read it, and you you go, uh, I don't know what a Kenzanite is. So then you go to Wikipedia. (laughs) Don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia, but it has a lot of things to read there, and some of it's really, really helpful. And on Wikipedia, you find out that a Kenzanite is from uh, um, uh, a different kind of associated tribe, um, the the Moabites. Um, But they're a unique group within that tribe. It turns out that Kenzanites were essentially the Mediterranean version of the gypsies. They tour around, they're nomadic people, um, and, um, and, and in English, they would have been called the Smiths, right? We know the Smiths, we've met the Smiths, everybody's met John Smith especially. Um, and and they, they go around, uh, little village to village, and they're tinkerers. And they're, they're, they're people who fix things. I mean, so that's what they do. It's Len and Ron Bartel and their camels coming to a city near you. And so Caleb is different because he has a different origin. But somehow he's recognized what's happening with the people of God, his essentially cousins. And in Egypt, he became just enthralled with what God was doing. God was putting plagues on Pharaoh. God was working on behalf of his people who were, who were just a bunch of slaves. God seemed to care about the normal people, the downtrodden people, the people who just didn't have what everybody else has. And to him, it was a miracle. And to him, it was something that he desperately wanted to be part of. And so he aligned himself with Israel. Aligned himself with such devotion that he became part of the tribe of Judah, probably married in. Aligned himself with such devotion that they couldn't deny him position of significance and leadership, even though... And look at this, this is interesting. Again, it's Hebrew, but it's interesting. In Hebrew, the name Caleb and Caleb sound very similar, except Caleb in Hebrew means dog. And that's what they called him, dog. They didn't like him at first. He was one of those, one of those. They didn't like him, but he loved their God. He loved their God. And his great devotion to their God um, eventually got him into a position within their community where he had the opportunity to go with Joshua and these other ten men into the land that was promised to the people of God. There's great people of faith all throughout the scriptures that have a very similar story to Caleb. Rahab right? From Jericho. (laughs) Not an Israelite woman proper making tea, okay? Different kind of woman entirely. Ruth, right? She gets her whole book. Ruth, uh, just married in, faithful to a fault almost, But God's plan right from the beginning as he explained it to Abraham was that the people of Israel would be a witness, right? And that they would bless and and graft in all the people and all the tribes and all the nations of the entire world. And what did Israel over and over and over again do? They got themselves in a holy happy huddle, right? And they sang their songs and they worshipped their God. And they got a little snobby. They did. And they talked about it in terms of them and us in a way that was different than how God wanted them to talk about them and us. Us, we got to go reach out to them. That's God. That's his big, big, giant heart. But that wasn't really the Israelis' big heart. And so you have these two guys Joshua and Caleb in this story that stand out in an amazing way, an absolutely amazing way. And it's an amazing story. We got spies going into the land, right? Love this. They get in there, okay? What have they eaten? For the last number of months that they've been on this little journey, God actually literally sent them the wrong way um, so that they would have a little time to get organized before they got to the promised land. So they've been out in the wilderness for a couple of months. They're walking and walking and walking. What have they been eating? Manna. That's right. Manna loaf. Manna burgers. Manna cakes. Right? Manna casserole. tonight. special. Right? And they go into this promised land and they scope it out, and they find a bunch of grapes so bountiful that they have to put it on a pole and two men carry it, okay? This is not the invention of pole dancing, but these men are very happy, I promise. They're very happy men because they have my—who's the tiniest, weakest person you know? could carry the grapes I got at the grocery store the other day. A bunch of grapes in this little tiny bag and, and, and the only thing that weighed more was the amount of money they wanted me to put down to buy them, right? This is a bountiful land, but this land has giants, right? Do you remember that passage, that part of the passage as he was reading through? He keeps referring to it He keeps referring to these giants, the Anakin, descendants of the Anakin. Anakin literally means long-necked, okay? Um, And and these are some big dudes, right? These are later going to be Goliath and his brothers. Um, These are some interesting folks. I don't know how many of you know somebody that's big. Um, At South Point, we've kind of, um, done a lot of work lately with uh, a bunch of the Jamaican migrant workers because my Spanish is not good, um, and uh, and oh, some of those guys are massive. They are big guys. This was one gentleman that comes quite regularly to church. His name's Andrew, and when I put my hand in his hand, my hand disappears. Like, my hand does not go around, it just goes in his hand, and I shake his hand, and I just have this little thing in my head, like, please don't hurt me. He's a very nice man, but he's massive. These guys, these giants that live in this land are intimidating. Why are the people of Israel so intimidated by them? Okay? I'M INTIMIDATED BY ANDREW WHEN I SHAKE HIS HAND BECAUSE I DON'T WANT HIM TO SQUEEZE TOO HARD, Aw. OKAY? THESE GUYS ARE LOOKING AT THIS LAND AND THEY'RE PLANNING ON COMING IN AND FIGHTING IN HAND-TO-HAND COMBAT WITH THESE GIANTS. AND I DON'T KNOW IF YOU KNOW EVERYTHING, I KNOW THEY SAY, YOU KNOW, THE BIGGER THEY ARE, THE HARDER THEY FALL. BUT WHEN THEY FALL ON YOU, IT HURTS, <laughs> RIGHT? And so, 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 in the midst of this great story, Joshua and Caleb see it differently. If we look at this idea of spy goggles, I, I, I don't know, maybe this is goofy, but I just thought it would help us kind of remember. Um, these spy goggles, when you have them on, what do you see? You see exactly the same thing that everybody else sees, right? Exactly the same thing, except you see it differently, right? Night vision goggles don't make something appear that's not there. It's already there. You can just now see it in a hint of green, usually, I believe, right? As good spy goggles, what, what else do good spy goggles have? What? Help me out here. Pardon? Lenses, yeah, like zoom in, right? That would be cool. What else could it have? Cameras, record, absolutely. Absolutely, I like this. We could, we could start a company. I think we could, right? X-ray vision, all of this stuff. But it's not going to help you see something that's not there. You're going to see exactly the same thing that everybody else sees. You're just going to see it differently. And Joshua and Caleb saw exactly the same thing that the other spies saw. They just saw it differently, which is awesome. How did they see so different? I believe the answer is this one little thing, faith. God had grown their faith. God had grown Joshua's faith by bringing an older man alongside him to mentor him and teach him and point him towards God. How awesome is that? How many of us need a person of faith that's just been a little farther down the road to walk with us and help us grow our faith, right? Caleb's faith had blossomed under pressure. For him, it was all brand new. This was not his tradition's this was not his customs. These, these, these rules and regulations and, and patterns of worship and so on were inspiring to him because for him, it was the first time. It was the first time. And so he embraced this new faith and grew. How many people have met one of those new Christians? You know about these new Christians? They believe the Bible they believe what jesus said they think there's going to be miracles if we pray they think that it's a good idea to love your neighbor as yourself because the bible tells you to and then to tell your neighbor about jesus because the bible tells you to they're crazy right and that's caleb that's caleb it's not crazy he believes what God says, and God is pleased with him, and God honors him for his what? For his faith. So this is the last little bit I got for you. This is the, my last slide, um, so there's no more slides, but what about this faith thing? Because it's huge. It's a sermon series waiting to happen, hopefully not before lunch, right? What is this faith thing? The Apostle Paul said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's a big deal. We walk by faith, not by sight. It turns out that faith in our lives needs to be a verb. It needs to be something that we allow to grow. Whether it's a a, a hard experience or just an experience of having lunch um, with with somebody that can mentor you, um, we need to pray and ask God to grow our faith, right? Do you remember this church leader, synagogue leader, comes to Jesus and he he wants his daughter to be healed, but then he gets news that his daughter is dead. Oops. See, that's a problem. Anywhere in the world, dead daughters are considered big problem, right? And Jesus tells that man, just have faith. And he wants to have faith, but he knows he doesn't. And so he says to Jesus, Lord, increase my faith. What an awesome prayer. What an awesome prayer. We had this uh, verse to start our, uh, our service today, and I really, really love it. And I, I love the young person that shared it with us, uh, John. Uh, chapter 16 verse 33 it's red print in my Bible it's Jesus talking and this is what he says I have told you these things so that in me in Jesus you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart what does he mean have faith for I have overcome the world that's awesome I can't make you want to have more faith. And I suspect I can't give you more faith. Um, But I know that if we spend a little more time in this Word, I know that if we spend a little bit more time praying and asking God who wants to give us faith, He will. And it can make such a difference because He has a plan for your life. He has promises that he's already written out in this book that he wants to fulfill in your life. But he needs you to get your spy goggles on if you would. Um, And the adventure will not disappoint because the life of faith is a roller coaster and it's awesome and it's what he wants for you.
0: Amen? Why
2: don't we stand as we get ready to close the service this morning?
0: We want to pray for Dave today and pray for South Point Church, and so we're going to do that in just a second, and just a reminder before we do that when service is done here, we do have prayer people available at the front who would be happy to pray with you about anything. These are people who've been trained by us, who we trust, they are confidential, and so if you need prayer for anything, please come on up, and if you're not going to pray, that's more than fine, but we will ask you just to slip out just so this can be a place of prayer for a little while. I'm going to invite Dave to come and stand right here, and if there's any staff, MM board members here. Uh, If you could join me up front and we're just going to lay hands on Dave and just bless what God is doing at South Point, our sister church. And uh, we talk about there are lots of churches in Leamington, but we know there's really one church in Leamington for any who declare Jesus as Lord. Uh, We are part of the same family. Dave is our brother, of course. So let's pray for him and for his church today. Father, thank you for the man of God that you've brought to us today, the message that you put in his heart for Meadowbrook Church. Thank you for what he's doing over at South Point, the gifting and the calling that you've given him there, and we just bless what you're doing there, Father, and we pray that you would open the heavens over South Point Community Church, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit there, that you would pour out your spirit on Dave and on his team there, and that you would just uh, give him and give them those goggles, Lord, to see through the eyes of faith, not to see what is, but to see what is. What you are proclaiming and what you are doing there. That they would walk in boldness, they would walk in confidence, and that everything Dave does as the bleed pastor over there would be out of the overflow of your spirit moving in his life, moving in his heart, doing your work in him, Lord, that he shares with others. And we thank you, Father, for a dedicated man of faith and for how he has stirred up faith here. We commit him into your hands and pray that the fullness and the weight of heaven's blessing will be on him and on South Point Church. For all of us here today, Lord, we pray that you will open up our eyes, that we would see through the eyes of faith, that we would see... What you are saying, what you are doing, we would not be overwhelmed by what we see with our eyes, Lord, but we would walk in confidence with what we see by faith and that we would walk by faith and not by sight as your spirit leads us and helps us along the way. We give you glory, Lord, and thanks for your word, for your encouragement, for your spirit who fills us and leads us. Lead us on this week, Lord, as we walk this walk of faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Meadowbrook. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.